Hey, welcome. My name is Glenn Lundy. Super excited to be launching our new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Can you believe it? That's right. The Breakfast with Champions podcast has finally arrived. This is your opportunity to get motivation, education, and inspiration every single day. And ultimately, your opportunity to get a seat at the table, to be a fly on the wall, to listen in to some conversations between some of the most amazing superhumans from around the planet. We're talking about people that are doing the things you know you can do, that have reached some of those levels you know you can reach. We've got celebrity interviews with people like Tiffany Haddish and Grant Cardone, Lauren Rittiger. We've got specialists in areas like Capital Ventures, right? Or wealth building, wealth management, real estate, all kinds of incredible conversations. And what's amazing about the Breakfast with Champions podcast is you're going to be able to tune in, listen in. They won't even know you're there, right? It's just like you're, you're, you're listening in on all these incredible secrets of some of the most successful humans from all around the world. You know, when we launched Breakfast with Champions, we had no idea of the power that it was gonna have. We had no idea of the collaborations it would create. We had no idea that we'd be able to connect humans from England and Australia and Saigon and America, of course, all together in one room having powerful conversations that elevate everyone in the experience. Listen, if you like these episodes of Breakfast with Champions, do me a huge favor and let us know. We would greatly appreciate it. We pour into this. You're going to get five to six hours of content every single day, Monday through Friday, five days a week. You can keep coming back. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We'd appreciate it. Drop your comments, share your thoughts and your reviews. It mean the world to us if you would do that. And in exchange, we promise you that we will always create a space, a safe space where you can come. You're not going to get politics here. It's not going to happen. You'll never see any type of division in here. It's actually exactly the opposite. We have a bunch of different people with different belief systems, different upbringing, different backgrounds. We've got people from all different ethnicities all coming together. But the one thing that we share is everyone in this room shares the same heart. And it is a heart to elevate you, to encourage you, to inspire you, and to help you become the absolute best version of yourself that you can possibly be. So if you would, do us a favor, write those reviews, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends. We're going to be here, and we hope that you will be too. Enjoy Breakfast with Champions. You'll see there in the notes that you can skip forward. You can move back. If you need to pause it for a minute, you'll now have that opportunity to do so. We do record these daily on Clubhouse. We have a Breakfast with Champions Club there, or you can follow me, Glenn Lundy, if you'd like to see those rooms, if that's an app that you enjoy. You can always come in and tune in live, or of course, just sit back and enjoy right here on the podcast and anywhere your podcast can be found. It is such an honor and a privilege to be able to spend this time with you. I know that there are a trillion places you could have chose to be. You chose to be right here with us on Breakfast with Champions, and that means the world to me, and I absolutely stinking love you for it. So with that said, we are excited to launch the new Breakfast with Champions podcast. Thanks so much. Now, Fanzo and I have a special fun hour planned for you guys. So where's Fanzo? Oh, you're coming on up. You're coming on up. You're getting closer. Hey, Fanzo. 
Hey, hey, hey. hey my, my, I think my, uh, is my mute button like vibrating again? I feel like this is like a, it's the new bug here. You can, hear me, you can hear me okay? I hear you fine. Okay, we'll see when I go back on mute. I might have to bounce out, bounce back in. But yeah, um, what's up, everybody? Happy Tuesday. And this is our uh, one hour slot, which I think is, uh, we've had a lot of fun the last couple of weeks. I think this is week four or week five of, uh, of the of the joy of you know us kind of taking over for the next hour and you know one of the things that we you know we got a lot of feedback on you know the conversation you know Donna and I both individually host a lot of our own rooms and conversations uh, and we actually met here on Clubhouse uh, back in uh, January uh, in a room that I was hosting called Press the Damn Button uh, which is the name of my podcast and the book and all that stuff that I work on and so I thought you know we were we were talking about you know for this week you know going through like the feed back that we hear and what people have been saying about you know the the hour that we run here under uh breaks with the champions and one of the things was you know, getting to know um you know the two of us a little bit better and so i'm going to interview uh miss donna bowling donna spell dana um <laughs> for the first like 25 minutes or so and then we're going to flip the script a little bit and then she's going to interview me uh and then we'll have you know, kind of have some uh conversation around at the end and hopefully maybe even take a couple questions uh, that you guys might pose and i think part of this is no it's not an interview as much to um get to know you know each of us and like who we are and our background but i feel like one of the things that we often you know, talk about here in this room and it's a lot of the the theme is you know finding your people right and finding the people uh, it doesn't matter where they live what their background is what sexual orientation marriage status where they live in the world i do believe the power of social digital uh the world we live in today is really connected empowered enlightened um by our opportunity to find people that get us find people that we feel like we can be connected to and so you know thankfully for for the two of us and for some of our our good friends here in the room you know this app Clubhouse has kind of has done that for us. But I think part of it and the reason that kind of exists is because we aren't afraid to kind of put ourselves out there and tell our stories and, and kind of, you know, kind of connect the dots. And so hopefully what I'm, you know, the questions I have uh, for Donna, which she has not seen beforehand. So I know that usually brings a little bit of anxiety. Um, <laughs> There's no anxiety here. Okay, I can good. handle this. Okay, you got it. All right, good. That's what I like to hear. So first question, can you talk about your origin? No, just kidding. Um, so <laughs> can I talk about my what? Your origin story? Can you give us Oh God, no. Story? Next. Pass, yeah. pass. Yeah. Uh, let me yeah. call a, a friend. Molly yeah, Derrick, you have my origin story. Thank you. No. So the first, you know, so, you know, you know Donna, you know, one of the things you talk a lot about is your name. Um, the fact that your mom, um, you know, spelled it Dana uh, and uh, it's Donna. Um, Donna spelled Dana. But I think one of the things that you know we we hear a lot about in personal branding and storytelling and in standing out online is having something that's memorable, having something that you know kind of you know you know is something that kind of connects a lot of these dots. So my first question for you, and I think just I'm curious, you know, you know how is that like when people talk about you know the, you know either they're you know DMing you or connecting with you offline or even you know joining some of the communities you belong. How, how much of an impact do you feel like something just as simple as the way that you ref reframe that always? Uh, and I think I messed, I messed up your name, I think, the first four times you entered my room. So uh, for those that, are, uh, that get confused on that. But I'm curious, like, your take on, you know, if you had to go back and do it all over again, um, be just based on, like, your ability to kind of leverage that as, you know, a conversation starter and something memorable. Is it something you, like, wished that you, your name wasn't that way? Or, like, how do you kind of look at that now? Um, I know I can imagine high school and stuff being a little bit different. But, you know, give us your thoughts on your name and how that kind of makes you a little bit more memorable just because of the fact that we know that your name isn't spelled kind of what, what it looks. Curious. Oh, my God. That's so funny that you even think that's, like, a 
a, a part of any sort of strategy of mine, <laughs> like thinking, you know, only Clubhouse, the first time I started to really recognize that my name was going to be an issue in my life was when I was grad, I had graduated college and I worked in casting and in casting, the way it works is you put out breakdowns and agents received these breakdowns. And at the time it was all um, hard copy. It wasn't digital. And so in this um, breakdown, it would say the name of the casting director, the name of the casting associate and the name of the casting assistant. And at the time I was an assistant and people called to pitch their clients to the assistant. And they all called me Dana. And so my, one of my first bosses, Greg Orson, he made the joke. He was like, I'm putting your name on the breakdown as Dana, D-A, well, D-A-N-A, and then in, in quotation marks, Donna, D-O-N-N-A, um, at the last... <laughs> At that time, my last name was Gurgly. We're not talking about that. That's something I don't like to talk about. It's embarrassing. We'll talk about that another time when we talk about really embarrassing last names. And then what happened was everyone started to call me Dana Donna, Dana Donna, Dana Donna. And I never really thought anything of it. It was annoying, but that's it. But Clubhouse has changed the game because now I really have had to talk about this every single time I introduce myself. Yes, I'm Donna, spell Dana, Donna, spell Dana. And I, I think I've just made light of it. I think so many times we have names that are, um, you know, hard to pronounce. And if you don't just kind of go in and, and this is not even about your name, but just in general, anything about you that may be a little bit kind of confusing for others, you have to kind of embrace it and take it on. So I think that's what I've done. So Dana Donna, which yes. I'll, I'll refer to you for. Yes, Donna um, spelled Dana, I prefer. No, Thank you. I just like Dana Donna, um, especially because now that you said that wasn't as annoying as you thought it would be, I will try to take that to the next spot. Um, I'm curious, you know, from a first impression perspective, you know, personal branding, a lot of things you talk about personal branding, growing your business online, a lot of the women that you're empowering um, within your collective, a lot of it comes out to like this idea of standing out online or how do I create content or where do I build things? But could you talk a little bit about, you know, the importance of a first impression and how does how do you think about the first impression you make? And, and I'll, the caveat to this is I think there's also an element of, hey, how do I, if, if my first impression is this, how do I shape it to where it goes along with where I want it to go? So I'm curious, is that something you think about? Because I know the, the name part of it isn't something you think about consciously, but I think there is elements of you know, what elements of your story or how you introduce yourself or you know, I, you know, one of the things I, I stressed when I originally you know, got to know you was like, hey, I want more information on this casting director world that you live in because most of us outside of LA and yes there is a whole group of people that live outside of LA um that's just I don't know any of you yeah, where where is outside of LA and usually most of the references that you make I'm like what is that I mean talking about that um but I'm curious so first impression and then how do you think about it from like maybe someone's first impression of you isn't what you were hoping they would have how do you look at that like kind of adapting that or, or what things do you lean into to kind of change that narrative so it's funny that you said this because before I kind of got into where I am right now in my business, I wanted to create, so I had like a midlife crisis at 37 years old before I started my business coaching actors. I had just stopped casting and I was kind of in between trying to figure out what I was going to do. And what I decided, I swear to God, was a, I was going to create a business called First First Impressions Consulting because in my, so it's so funny that you asked that because you didn't know that. I don't think you knew that. But what I really wanted to do was teach I did people. Not, I, didn't know your yeah. first, I didn't know your last name that you didn't like, but I did not know that. It was called Gurgley's First Impressions. That was the that was the business. Um, so what what it, what the goal here was to talk about how important that 
those first three seconds. And really it's three seconds. When you walk into a room, I, you know, I use a lot as the actor, you know, teaching and coaching actors about the, that for those first three seconds when you walk into a room, but this is in life, right? When you walk into a room and now it's a lot of it is virtual. When you walk into a room or jump on a phone call or go onto a Zoom, you literally have seconds to decide if people want to a listen to you or if even if they like you. And it's unbelievable how fast that can be shifted. So there's a few things that I like to kind of really hone in on. A smile goes incredibly long. And that's hard here on Clubhouse, obviously, when you're just, um, you know, on an audio app, but in a visual sense, when you walk into a room with a smile, it immediately lowers everyone else's guard around you. Eye contact is huge. Um, and, and honestly, I think introducing yourself with your name and repeating the person's name back to them is really big with actors. The big thing that would be a struggle with first impressions was walking in the room and shaking hands. They'd want to shake hands. But casting directors, and if there's any actors here in this room, just know this. Casting directors despise getting their hands shake. It's sh shaked? Shook? It's absolutely shookened they hate getting their hands shuckened shockened um the reason why is because they meet 500 people a day it's just germ wise this is before covid so it's before covid that's interesting yeah casting directors knew before anything about spreading uh, stopping the germs but the point is is that it's very uncomfortable I think for people to want to introduce themselves in a room without extending their hand to shake but a lot of times you just have to smile kind of you can give a little bit of a wave but saying your name and smiling and introducing yourself and then repeating back the person's name is a game changer you know body language is so weird sometimes you walk into a room you notice like a lot of people will walk into a room for the first time and they're uncomfortable they're looking at their phones i'm not even talking about actors i'm saying just in general like if someone walks into um a starbucks or another store like a lot of people just their natural reaction and i'm sure a lot of people here on stage do this they look at their phones when they first walk in the room um or as they're walking do you know, do you notice this? Like you walk through, you it's see people walk. Valve. Yeah, it's the safety valve. And like, number one, I'm, I'm worried about your posture. But number two, it's so, and it's, I see my husband do this, by the way. He looks down at his phone as like a, it's like an instinct or a habit. And instead it's of looking. Because I don't have to make eye contact. I do it. I know I, I, I've done that many, many times. You look down. Okay. So eye contact, you guys, is one of the most important things that we could do as human beings if if it's something that we feel comfortable doing it, you got to get into the eye contact i think it's it's unbelievable how how small that move will take you to the next level but if you walk into a space if you go into a party and you're staring at your phone it's an immediate um you know uh you're telling someone i don't i don't want to be here i feel uncomfortable being here you're not important enough to me but how to do you, look so up. How do you how do you look at that from like someone's first impression on your Instagram account per se? Like how do you think about that from like the eye contact, the you know, the not shaking the hand but making sure your introduction? I'm curious, how how do you take that into something like Instagram? Oh, I love that. Okay. Instagram is an incredible way to connect with people in a virtual space. But the problem is it's not you and it's not usually live. But Instagram is your way to speak to your audience 
or with your audience, I should say, and it's less about who you are. So, so many people take Instagram and use it as like, me, 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 all about me. Here's what I'm doing and here's what I'm, I say and here's how I look and here's what my car is and here's the food I ate and they're not making it about the person. And so it goes right back to looking down at that phone. Why do we not like when we're hanging out with someone and they're looking at their phone? It's because we don't feel like they're giving us any attention. But if you guys are on your Instagram and only talking about yourself, as if you don't even know who you're talking to, your audience doesn't feel like they're getting any attention from you. And that's like an, that's going to make them not feel seen and that's going to make them not want to come back. It's like, why would you want to go on a second date with someone who just looks at their phone, right? There's too many people out there who are willing to give you their full attention. So that can totally be in you know, in your content, speak to the audience and make sure that all your content speaks to what they want to hear or see and it relates to them. Um, you can be engaging with them and asking them questions and having them respond, being, you know, present in the DMs and the comments, like Molly Dare is the queen of like, you comment on something of hers or you, you know, show any if, um, attention in her, in her posts or in her stories, like she's immediately responding. I always feel seen when I'm on Molly Dare's, um, you know, page where there's a lot of people out there where I do not feel seen at all. I comment, you know what, can I tell you what happened this morning, Fanzo? Maybe okay, you know it. Mel Robbins? Hello? You I know Mel know, Robbins? I, okay. I know Mel Robbins very well, yes. <laughs> okay, Mel Robbins, you guys, for anyone that's in this room, she's a motivational speaker. She used to have a little TV show. She's an author, and she kind of came up with that 54321 thing. Um, and, you know, she speaks on stages, love her or hate her. I mean, I think she's incredible. She's done a few things and said a few things that have really, truly changed my life. And last night I was having a conversation with my eight-year-old son. And um, we were having like a big family discussion after a big falling apart moment, right? He's eight and he struggles highly with anxiety. And um, and it's, it's coming out more so now than ever. And it's really, really hard for me to see because I struggle with anxiety too. And I really don't like seeing it in him. It makes me un sad and uncomfortable. So I had a conversation with him, you know, really openly about Mel Robbins and what she said to me the one time about, to me. <laughs> I felt like she did say it to me, but she said on her Instagram account about the difference between being nervous and being excited and how it's just a mindset. And I told him all about it. And it really shifted things in his brain. I saw it. He lit up. He was like, oh, well, today I woke up, of course, you know, the way the universe works. The first post when I open up Instagram is Mel Robbins celebrating the fact that her new book called The High Five Habit is like number one or number two all over Amazon. Okay. So I comment. This is a very, very successful woman with hundreds of thousands of followers. And I comment on her, on her post and I said, I want to let you know, um, you know, I'm so excited for you. I just want to let you know I spoke about you last night with my eight-year-old son who's struggling with anxiety. Now, I don't know if Mel Robbins is commenting back. I don't know. But the she point is, is okay, is. I kind of thought she was too because she seems really present yeah, over there. The only reason I even know that is there was a discussion in a mastermind group I was in with her, and she made a very uh, loud point of making sure that when things are being replied from her social accounts, it is 100% her. Okay, I really have a feeling to that. I, like, I've always had a feeling about that, too. So I'm reading her, um, I mean, I, I get, get out of my workout, and I have a notification from Mel Robbins. And it says, I'm so glad to hear that. Have him read The High Five Habit with you, which is her new book. 
And he woke up this morning, I'm not joking, and I straight up went to him. I was like, Dylan, remember last night when I told you about the difference between being nervous and excited and Mel Robbins? And he's like, yeah, yeah. He said, she commented back. I commented on her Instagram. She commented back, and she thinks you and I should read this book together. And he's like, mommy, yes, let's do it. He got so excited. That is a moment where she gave me the feeling of being seen by simply commenting back on a, on a comment on her post. That, to me, moves mountains in this world of, like, you know, reaching out to people and not hearing back from people left and right. Okay, so I'm curious now, because I, I mean, I love that, you know, Mel did that, and I think um, that even like, your comment too there, right, I think, and it's also connecting some of those docs where it was a personal comment, not just like, hey, I like the book or, you know, something like that as well. I know for a lot of people in the audience, you know, you are someone that, you know, you're running your business. You are a full-time um, mom to two uh, amazing little boys as well. And you also, you know, have content on all the channels. You know, you're active on Clubhouse and, you know, other places as well. How do you approach that, like, desire to be replying right away with also the understanding that, like, you know, the ROI of replying to comments, like that's something that a lot of people will put out and say, hey, I just don't have the time to reply to everyone. How do you approach that? I have to be 100% honest. I definitely do not reply to every single comment because I'm, I, I totally dropped the ball there. But I try really hard and I do it while I just multitask, like while I'm watching TV. It's super easy. You can reply to people's comments on your Instagram feed through the, um, on your Instagram um, post through the like notifications feed. And so all you can do is just kind of go through and just make sure. And if you can't comment, just heart it. But just let people know that you see them. It goes so far. And I think, yeah, I mean, there's always an excuse. People are too busy. People are not too freaking busy, okay? People are not too busy because if you have um, a public persona, if you are a personal brand, if you want your business to grow, if you want people to know, like, and trust you, the one thing you need to do is focus and actually prioritize your audience. That is That should be a priority before a lot of other things that we think are priorities. So, for example, like, and I talk about this a lot, you know, people in my, in my um, kind of my clients or people that are interested in working with me, they come to me and they say that they want to grow their business. They want to grow their, their brand. Okay, who do I hire for a logo? And I am like, dude, you're totally focusing on the wrong thing right now. If you really want to move the needle, here's what you got to focus on, not the logo. The logo can come later. The website can come later. The, the brand colors can come later. Let's first figure out who you are, who you're talking to. So, so many people prioritize wrong. I get it. Like, I get we get busy. I get, you know, of all people, you know me, I have a to-do list a million miles long. I always have things that I need to do. But sometimes you have to take that moment and say, where do I really want to go? What are my actual goals in my business? And if my goals in my business are to grow my personal brand or grow my know, like, and trust, have more people know who I am so that when I do write a book or that when I do start a podcast or when I do start a clubhouse room, people come in and they want to be there. The focus is on your audience right now. It's not on you. It's putting all the focus on them. Now I'm curious. I, Did you I notice thought? how passionate I got? I stood I up for that. I like that. I my like hands that. were going like my my watch is probably saying like you're getting steps right now. I got really into that. Okay, no, no, this is a perfect segue that you didn't know where we were going. Where, you know, the other thing that you are really into is not only you know staying active, but you are frustratingly um, inspiring in the fact that you 
um, you know, work out and are part of, you know, I think everyone that follows you on social knows your gym, um, knows what gym you work out because of your ability to kind of make that a commitment that you are really refused to negotiate that, that, that commitment of all commitments. I'm curious, you know, for a lot of people we hear about, you know, work-life balance. We hear about, you know, the mental health side. You know, you've shared on this stage uh, before um, some of the struggles that you've had. But I would say one of the things that you also, you know, you've really been committed to this idea of, you know, working out your fitness and your health. Has that always been the case for you? And, like, what would you say is the motivation to say, like, even if you didn't sleep good the night before or you were having, you know, a rough night with, the, you know, the boys are, were coming in and, and interrupting your sleep, you know, overnight. How do you make that commitment something that you're not willing to negotiate for? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Okay, well, I definitely was not always this way. And for anyone that doesn't know me and follows me on Instagram, or if you, you don't follow me on Instagram, you wouldn't know this, but I work out six to seven days a week, and it's usually at six o'clock in the morning, and I take crazy hard workouts at F45, and I love it, and I and it's hard, and I struggle through it, and I'm obsessed with it, and so I have a real love-hate relationship with it, but I love it more than I hate it, and that's why I do it. Here's what I think. I think the truth is when it comes to working out, I think the truth is that it's, you know, when I was young, when I was younger, I was a chubby kid, okay? I was a chubby kid and I struggled with that like as a really young kid. When I look back at the pictures, I'm like, whoa, like a baby, right? Like two, three, four. Then I finally like came into my own. I felt really good about myself. And then when I was about 18 years old and blame my mom for this, I remember this day so well. I'm sure a lot of women here in this room remember these kinds of days. I went to Forever 21, which was like kind of new at the time. I was 18 and I got really excited. I bought these like really cute pants and it was a Friday, and I was going to a party that night, and I went into my mom's room um, with my new pants. And I was like, Mom, look how cute my pants are. And my mom, bless her heart, Jewish mother, very health conscious, very exercise conscious, very body conscious, says to me, um, you know, Donna Le, which is what she calls me, Donna Le, uh, I think they're a little too tight for your belly. And I was like, huh? Like, I swear to God, I had no idea that I had a belly. I had no idea. And when she said it to me in that moment, I started to like feel really self-conscious. Oh my gosh, my belly. I, I guess I have a belly. And what's interesting is I kind of started to go down a really, really bad path of feeling horrible about my body. Horrible about my body. And then I went into college. I went to UC Santa Barbara, which is a very, very big party school. And, you know, College is college, right? You go out, you drink some beers, you come home, you eat pizza dipped in ranch dressing at 2 a.m. And that was kind of like my life. And so I gained that freshman 15. I remember that. I was not working out at all at this time, at all. I never did. I was never really in, like on team sports, nothing. And I remember coming home, again, my poor mom. I remember coming home and she looked at me and she's like, you got to be careful. You got to be careful. Like you're gaining a lot of weight. And if I go back in my pictures of my freshman year in college, I was definitely not, I did not look healthy. Like for my body, I'm five feet tall. So every pound I could see. And, um, and then here's the problem. I don't care about, you know, the physical side of it. You can be whatever you are, but if you're not confident. And so where I struggled was I didn't like the way I looked. I didn't like the way I felt. I didn't feel comfortable or confident. Um, 
I, it was, it was turning into like a lot of, um, you know, just bad feelings about myself. So I got myself my first gym membership at Galita, <laughs> Galita Valley Athletic Club. We called it GVAC. It's in Santa Barbara area. And I went there and I started walking on the treadmill every day. And then I started running on the treadmill and then I started doing the elliptical and then I started running in real life. And then I started doing all these other classes and then I got a job at Jamba Juice and I was like working out and then drinking my healthy smoothies and I lost weight and I felt really good. Now I was never skinny. Like uh, when I say skinny, I mean, I was never like unhealthy. I always ate as much as I wanted, but the movement really, really shifted everything for me. It made me feel better. It gave me that energy. When I wake up right now at 5.30 in the morning and it's pitch black outside and I'm tired because I was up all night, I seriously think about what am I going to feel like at 7 a.m. if I don't work out. Like if I get that sleep, which maybe I'll get, maybe I won't, I'll wake up at 7, maybe I'll get an hour extra of sleep, but I will not feel better. I know myself, and the second I start moving my body, my energy shifts, and I know this is a really long um, answer for your question, Fanzo, but this is super important. Everyone always says, Donna, how do you have so much energy? Because I literally, on my Instagram bio, it says your daily dose of energy. I am an energy, like, um, and when I say energy, I don't mean like woo-woo. I mean like your little cup of espresso. Like I have a lot of energy, right, for the most part. But I always say I don't have this energy like in me. I make this energy. We have to make energy. And so if you wake up and you're sluggish or if all day long you're sluggish, and trust me, like days like today, I'm tired today. So I am a little sluggish today. But 95% of the days I wake up and I go and I move my body and it sets me up for the rest of the day. And I am like a freaking, what is it called? The roadrunner? <laughs> I'm like the roadrunner. The Energizer Bunny. The Energizer Bunny. And we share health data on our watches because we compete with each other with our Apple watches. And I always nail it, right? Like I always kick butt because it's ridiculous. I, I don't stop moving from morning till night. Like it's really a problem. <laughs> but that's just my happy space. I like being filled with energy. And I do believe it starts with movement in the morning. All right. So, final question to you before we flip the script. When, you know, one of the things I stress a lot, especially here on Clubhouse, but I stress it, you know, I just gave a keynote uh, to about 10,000, or it was supposed to be for 10,000 or so, but it ended up being about 1,000 um, uh, event producers uh, this morning. And one of the things I stress is defining what success looks like for them. And I think we all have to really work hard at that. I'm curious, uh, the final question, when you think about you, you know, where you are in 2021 and where you are a year from today, what would success look like for you one year from today? Oh, freaking Fanzo with the hard-hitting questions. Is this going to be the Barbara Walters moment? Is this the Oprah Winfrey moment where I'm like, I promised I wouldn't cry? Um, Fanzo, okay, a year from now success. You know, success is a struggle for me uh, to define success. Um, we talk about this often. You know, some people see success as follower numbers. Some people see success as dollars in their bank account. Um Success for me would be clarity in my path. That's what I think success is because there's no worse feeling for me when I feel like all over the place with my career. I would love to have, like to me, I really want to ramp up my speaking career, which is why you're, I'm going to interview you next because hope, hope, hopefully you can give me some tips. I want to ramp up my speaking career. I do want to write my book. That's the goal, right? I'm, I'm planning on writing a book 
and getting on stages and getting a little bit more visible so that it can make more of an impact. But I also really, really believe in clarity and thinking clarity is probably the best form of success because here's the thing. I can create a reel right now that gets a ton of views. I can get a hundred new Instagram followers today. It feels really freaking good, but it's so short lived. It's like a quick hit of dopamine, right? When you get like a big, um, win, it goes away. But that really kind of long-term career clarity to me is, I think, true success. That's what I, I don't know why that just came to me, but that's what came to me. I feel like you set us up for the fact that you weren't going to have an answer that was dynamic. And that, to me, is an answer we can all um, kind of lean into, right? The idea of finding clarity, making clarity something that we are achieving, you know, something that we are seeking to achieve, but also just even the idea of, you know, how do we continue to step into ourselves and kind of, uh, you know, not only be our best self, but also uh, extend the dots there. So Donna, I love it. I love that you let me kind of uh, ask you a little bit of anything and everything. And for those that, you know, don't know, definitely give Donna a follow over there on Instagram. Just click on her profile, scroll all the way to the bottom. Also make sure you have uh, the bell on for the room she runs here on Clubhouse. Always, uh, you know, great rooms, getting everybody involved. Lots of questions, lots of uh, familiar faces you'll know here um, from Clubhouse. So, uh, Donna, that was uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I'll flip over to you. Ooh, I'm so excited for this. 30 minutes to interview fans. Oh, well, first of all, I hope you hear this. That was the round of applause for you, Fanzo, for being such an interviewer because you're used to getting a lot of applause, being the fact that you are a professional keynote speaker. You've spoken in what is it, 70? How many, how many countries? 76 countries around the world on stages, which to me is such goals. I mean, I don't know about the 76 countries because I'm still trying to get over my fear of flying, which I've been better at this year. But I love the idea of just traveling around the world and speaking. And I need to know this about you, Fanzo. When you were a kid, did you ever think, when I grow up, I want to be a speaker? No, uh, not when I was a kid, uh, not when I was a college, and probably not even after 10 years of working in the real world. I didn't even really know speaking was a job or a role um, up until, uh, actually, I think it was about 2010 um, was the first time that someone kind of, you know, it kind of hit me that, wait a second, this can be a full-time profession. I, I wanted to be in the middle of arenas. I wanted to be in the mid. I was never shy. I was always kind of outgoing, never afraid to kind of take the mic. But I always looked at it as my sports were my connection. I, I growing up, I wanted to be a sports center news anchor. Uh, then I found out you had to be good at English and journalism, which I, I struggled with in school. Uh, and so, no, the answer really is no. I didn't even really realize that that was something um, that was achievable. And I don't know if it would have helped uh, knowing earlier on if I knew that was something that was a role. You know, I will say my first time speaking ever, like in front of an audience where, you know, it wasn't like a school was, you know, 2005, I was tasked with, you know, they sent me to a training, the US government uh, sent me to this training course to get certified in uh, verbal communication, or not verbal communications, they called it, oh crap, I can't remember the name of it was, something communications. Um, and, but for me, that was just a matter of like, hey, you have to be a good communicator to be successful as a manager, as a leader. Um, and so for me, there was not, not really ever was there a point where I was like, hey, I wanna be that when I grew up. And even from 2005 to 2010, I looked at speaking as a necessary evil for what I was doing and what the roles that I was taking on. 
but never as something I would do full time. So it's so interesting because you, you know, growing up, I mean, we've heard from you, obviously, you know, the different kind of careers you've gone through. I know that you um, you worked in, you know, for what was it? National Security, <laughs> something Cybersecurity, yeah, Department of Defense. Yes, Department of Defense, Cybersecurity. You had a short stint at UPS. You had all kinds of different jobs, and you ended up doing something that I bet is something that you love the most, which is talking about the things that you are super passionate about. How did you decide to kind of like hone in on this idea of being a digital futurist, and what the F does that even mean? Yeah, so... Um, well, the digital futurist label actually came uh, more recently in the last three years. Uh, and it's also because I am a proud multi-hyphenate. Um, I am team no niche. Uh, I am one that I'm very proudly of figure out the path to success doesn't require you to have just a singular niche. Uh, I don't believe that. I believe if you have a niche, for all those that have one, um, I say you should double down and own it and make it your thing. But if you don't have one or you struggle um, in your creativity or um, how you show up, but when you are niching down, I believe you can also have success, and that's kind of the path that I've taken. And for me, part of that you know, narrative is how do you find success um, or riches without having a niche? For me, part of that is making it easy for people to talk about what you do or for people when they are talking about what you do for it to inspire further questions, right? So the idea, I didn't want, you know, the only futurists that I knew um, in my career, some of them in masterminds that we're in, were very like um, talking about robot robots taking over the world and we live in pods or the Jetsons, like it was like that version of the futurist. But for me, the the idea was how do I connect kind of this idea of, you know, my mission and goal is helping people find the harmony between technology and humanity. And so we came up with the, the term or the, you know, the label uh, digital futurist. And really that was kind of a byproduct of my speaking career. Like I started off speaking about cloud computing and the future of technology. And then I weirdly uh, kind of took it into this path of what was the millennial mindset. And I was labeled as a cross-generational communication speaker. Uh, which sounds just really fancy for saying I was a millennial that knew how to talk to millennials and Gen Xers and baby boomers. That's really what my sweet spot became was that I could translate the geek speak between um, those that were, you know, uh, let's say ranking officials in the government or in the military. And then those that were drinking Mountain Dew and said, leave me in a closet, let me work on my computer science, you know, coding that I'm working on. And so for me, like that was like always my sweet spot. There was no job, uh, there was no like major in college that said, "Hey, you can be like the the translator in between, um, you know, geeks and management leadership." And um, that there, there was never anything that existed. But if I look back at my career, all of the jobs I've had, um, uh, maybe not the UPS job. UPS, I was delivering packages out, out of college, um, wearing the short shorts. Best, best, best. Uh, I was in the best shape of my life back then, uh, just because that job is uh, intense. But you know, every job I've had, my success was found in my ability to be the translator, be able to simplify a lot of the complex things around technology but also not, you know, let's just say not dumb them down or not belittle them, but also not be one that believes technology should save all, be all, and technology fixes, you know, uh, the things that are going on. And so that, the label came there mostly to help 
with events and speakers, you know, and organizations that hire me. And you know, that, you know, when people ask, like, how do I speak at all of these different events, right? Like, I spoke today in front of uh, event professionals. On Thursday, I'm speaking in front of, uh, actually, I'm, I'm speaking in front of a, a leadership group in the uh, in the dental hygi dental hygiene uh, arena, uh, and then the following week, I'm speaking in front of uh, well over 500 uh, entrepreneurs that have all made seven figures or more in a, in a mastermind that I'm speaking at. And part of the reason I believe that I'm able to speak in such dynamic or different, uh, diverse uh, audiences is that a I didn't allow my niche to define me, but also I am one that you know I am really work hard at leveraging you know, examples and studying the different industries across the board. And so I feel like I can talk about uh, a wide range of examples um, that kind of fall under the digital futurist umbrella. And if you would have told me five years ago that I would you know, label myself as a futurist and that's what I would get paid to do, I would say you're crazy. I don't think that's. I don't think that would be something that would fit my my mantra. But it's definitely what I've leaned into the last three years, and it's what I'm excited to do. You know, moving forward. I love it so much, and I think you know, in 2021, more than ever, and maybe it's just because these are the people that I kind of spend my time with. Mo more people want to be speakers than ever. In fact, it's so weird. As you're speaking, um, I got a text from a girlfriend of mine who lives here in LA. She's you know, not on Clubhouse at all. And she said, hey, Donna, do you know of a group for speaking engagements to network with people who want speaking gigs because she wants to broaden her speaking opportunities? So what would you say to someone that is like just starting out and needs to like get in and doesn't have the connections, doesn't know people? Where would they start if they wanted to be a speaker? So I think the beauty of public speaking, and I love that question, um, is that there is no uh, blueprint. Anyone that's going to sell you one blueprint to become a professional speaker is full of crap. Um, I believe the beauty of this industry and this space is that you can go at it any, all these different ways, right? You can be an executive that is, you know, that is setting yourself up for, you know, retirement and kind of, you know, moving into the, the speaking side. You can be an author that is then talking about the books that you're writing. You could be someone that is a course creator and you're now taking the, you know, the overall themes of your course creation. But there's also different roles of a public speaker, right? There are keynote speakers. And just to kind of level set that, a keynote speaker is what I get hired now mostly to do, is someone that is speaking at the start or end uh, of an event and my job is to connect my my presentation, but also with the theme of the event, right? And I wouldn't say it's a motivational as much as it's something that is really host, hopefully getting people to, to be set up for success or to wrap everything up at the end of an event. And so that's a keynote speaker role. That's the ones we often see that are on like you know ginormous stages. But there are other roles as speakers that actually get paid sometimes more money, um, and most times equal money. And there are you know you can be a breakout speaker. You could be a host or moderator of of, of the panels that exist, um, or you could be a workshop um, you know presenter or you know trainer. Uh, and they you know every event, uh, and I would even argue moving forward even more so in the future. Um, this connection of virtual and offline and the need for us to not just inspire, but to inspire, to help people implement, to help people be motivated to continue, and then hopefully help to hold them accountable. The different roles that exist as speakers is, is really exciting space. And I will tell you, I was told back in 2014, um, as I, I kind of announced to the world that I was going to try to do this speaking thing full time, the amount of people that came at me and said, Brian, you don't have a book. 
Brian, you don't have a million followers. Brian, you don't, you've never been the CEO of you know, a massively successful company. You will never make $10,000 a keynote. You will never make that, that, like that was the fee that they kept labeling me. And for a while, I feel like I presented myself as a $7,500 speaker, uh, and less about the money, but the more about just like that mindset. And then I started to look at what, you know, what was the value that I provided, and what were the things as a speaker that matter. And I believe the old white guy game, which, uh, let's be real, most of the, the speaking industry was run um, and kind of controlled by a lot of very old white guys that were doing their best to prevent um, diversity, unique vo voices, and I don't believe it was a lot of it was malicious. It was more to protect what the the thing that they were building, right? The, the a lot of speakers had written a book ten years ago and were still getting paid to speak on that same topic, mainly because they had kind of insulated themselves in a space that kind of passed the speaking gigs around in that way. And I took it upon myself to not only want to be one that disrupts that, but wanted to be ones that refused to make that, uh, you know, something that um, I was okay with. And, you know, for anyone that knows my story and, you know, I am in my speaking contract, there are things that are outlined that talk about the diversity of speakers on a roster that I am on. So if they are hiring me to speak, um, I do have requirements that I will not speak at an event, that if it is a, uh, a mantle or if it is an all white guy, um, you know, keynote speaker uh, arena. And that, that's something that I've kind of leaned into. And the reason I share that is I also kind of connected those dots in the, in the sense of what does it mean to be like the full-time speaker? And I will say, I started to become a $10,000 speaker and a $12,000 speaker and then a $15,000 speaker, not because I finally wrote the book or not because I finally did things the way that I was being told I needed to do them, but it was really figuring out, okay, if I, why do people want, you know, why do people say that you have, must have a book to be a keynote speaker? Well, part of it is because the people that are approving the budget oftentimes aren't going to go watch your YouTube video. They want, you know, the, the, what happens is usually there's an event team that will walk into the executive's office and say, here's the five books for the speakers that we are, we just hired to speak and we're paying them all $20,000. Can you approve this $100,000 budget? And it became like the book becomes a little bit of a calling card. It comes a little bit of like that, like established, but it also for a long while was validity to what you knew. And I, I heard this so many times at events that I was at, was they would say, "I don't believe, uh, I don't believe people are are leaning in or mastering their their craft or what they're talking about until they take the time to write a book," which I think the irony in that is now you could literally self-publish a book. I could write it this weekend and use Amazon and have it up live by next week, right? So for me, it wasn't that I wanted to be the anti-author, right? I I am actually someone that's written. Uh, I've written two books that have never been published. One of them is unfortunately stuck um, in the Dell technology legal uh, arena based on some things that were outside of my control. Um, the other one happened to do some with some personal circumstances that I had to kind of wor work around. But I really worked hard at understanding, like, how do people hire speakers? What are the values speakers have? And I will say my advice uh, to your friend, Donna, that was just texting you, is that, you know, I say this a lot. Speakers get speakers gigs. Let me say that again, speakers get speakers gigs. And if you wanna, the, the two things that I always recommend for people to do is that they should speak everywhere and anywhere 
anywhere that people are willing to have you. I, I used meetup.com back in 2014, and if someone was doing an event at a coffee shop, and I, and I did this once, there was eight people at this, uh, this coffee shop, and I said, you know what, I have a new story that I've never shared in front of a, a, an audience of strangers. I'm gonna go speak at this event. And it was, there were, they told me there'd be 25 people, there was eight people. They told me there'd be a microphone, there really was not a microphone. But I got up and I delivered you know, a story that I hadn't told before, and I got some great feedback. And then about three years later, one of the people that were there actually came to me and said, hey, Brian, I'm now at a, a role that actually has budget to hire. Can I hire you to speak at four of my events? The, the events are Capital One events. Um, and I got paid full fee um, to speak at those four um, events. And so I share that because I think one of the things that we have to think about as speakers is A, how do I get more time in front of audiences? Because that's where I, you know, I don't care how good my website is, how good my speaker reel is. The people that hire me are the people that are able to see me do what I do. I believe I am, I, I know that I am great at what I do. I work really damn hard at you know understanding storytelling and, and blocking and crafting my messages and really leaning into the, the art that I deliver on stage. But I also know that the beauty of it is that, that I'm not in competition with anyone in this space. I don't believe if an event hires this person, they can't hire me. And part of that is kind of a beautiful thing, but it also means that you kind of are competing with everyone if, if nobody is your direct com uh, competition. And so the first thing uh, advice I give is speak everywhere and anywhere, but never speak for free. Let me say that again. Speak anywhere or everywhere, but never speak for free. You're gonna speak a lot of times for no fee. Now, and I have to clarify that. It took me a while to kind of wrap my head around this. Speaking for free and speaking for no fee are not the same thing. And the big difference is when you're speaking for free, it's as if you're just giving away everything and not getting anything in return. When you're speaking for no fee, it just means that you're not getting a direct monetary value directly back to you as you're speaking, but there could be plenty of things that you will be getting of value. Maybe it's access to an email list. Maybe it's a, a video recording of the podcast or of the, of the session. Maybe it's the idea that you're sharing the stage with someone else that you want to be able to you know, leverage that. So for me, that is the number one thing I could recommend. I, I mean, I will tell you, I did, I did, it's the only year I've ever done 100, event, 100 plus events. My goal in 2022 is 100 plus events. But um, back in 2015, I did 116 events. 116 events, and I would say about 60 of those, I have the exact number somewhere because I'm, I'm a data geek, but about 60 of those had, were for no fee. But I would, I would almost guarantee of those 60, they probably generated a quarter million dollars worth of future gigs. And so the speaking for, for no fee and understanding what other value you can get um, is the first advice. And the second one is speakers get speakers gigs, as I said. Build relationships with other speakers. I fly in a day early and leave a day late from almost every gig that hires me to speak. The reason is, is because I want to sit front row for, you know, Mel Robbins you mentioned, right? How do I become friends with Mel Robbins? I got lucky enough to be in a mastermind with her, but yet she still had no idea who I was because it was a fairly large mastermind group. And for two events in a row, I was t live tweeting her sessions and I remember her replying to a tweet saying, aren't you the next day's keynote speaker? Like, thanks so much for promoting my session. I was like, I loved it. You know, I was sitting front row. She's like, oh, I saw those pink shoes you were wearing. I knew exactly who you were. And sure enough, the next event I spoke at, Mel Robbins came up to me and was like, hey, we finally actually get to meet. And I share that not as a name drop, but as for me, part of it is when, when I speak at an event, 
within a month after I get off the stage, I can guarantee you that event is going to reach out to me and say, Fanzo, love what you did. We're not going to hire you for next year's event, you know, because we had you this year. But you could you recommend three speakers that you think would be great for our audience? And so I have it up here right in front of me right now. And, and, and to me, it's like the golden ticket. Like if you could get on this list from my standpoint, I can pretty much guarantee you, you know, six figures worth of business and speaking. And so I have a, on my, in the notes section of my phone, I have a list of, you know, it has 18 speakers that I admire and that I would recommend. And then I have a broken down into eight, you know, eight little subcategories with four speakers in each one of them. If someone comes to me and says, Brian, I need a diversity and an inclusion speaker that is really dynamic and going to, you know, you know, make people, you know, really enjoy this. I'm like, oh, Denise Hamilton, let me connect you with Denise Hamilton. She is a rock star, someone that I would love to connect you with. And so for me, like getting on those speakers, other speakers, you know, lists, and, and I say lists as in like getting on their first name so they know what you speak about. They trust that if they recommend you that you will deliver, you know, because that's the other piece of this, right? I, I don't recommend anyone that I haven't seen in person. And I also don't recommend anyone that I don't believe it would be someone that would I want to be associated with my brand. But that's where I would lean on that. Speak everywhere and anywhere, not for free, but for no fee. And then work hard on building relationships with our speakers. All right, cool. I, that was a great answer. And I'm sure so many people got so much value um, out of that because so many people have a message and they want to share it on stage. So my final question for you, and then I think we should open up if anyone has questions about being a speaker, because I guarantee that's um, that's something that some people have questions on. But my final question for you, Fanzo, is can you list, like, off the top of your head, some of the worst or most embarrassing or horrible, like, timing moments that have happened to you while you're speaking? Because I think so many people are scared of speaking for things that could potentially go wrong. I said that funny, potentially. But what do you think? So the first thing is, you know, I believe perfection is a fairy tale. I actually don't believe it's even the enemy of done. I believe perfection should not be something we should ever achieve for. But I also am one that works really damn hard at delivering uh, massive value. And so a real quick story on that. Um, you know, back in 2019, I, I started working with my speaker agent, uh, Michelle Joyce Speakers, and we really started booking some full calendars. And I got lucky. I got really extremely lucky. Um, for one of the weeks in October, um, I had three events in the same location in Orlando, Florida. And so it was three different events that I was speaking at um, and three different places that, um, you know, there were three different, you know, and they were all paying full fee. It was a keynote. Um, you know, they, we had, you know, when we started booking them out, we realized, oh, my goodness, I don't even have to fly anywhere. I'm going to get, you know, three full fee gigs in one week in one location at the same venue. Uh, and it was something I had like l was looking forward to on my calendar and, and was beyond excited. And so, you know, day one, I'm walking into um, the venue there where I'm speaking and there is a giant sign like you know massive sign across the entryway and it's my picture right and it's like you know excited to welcome you know our day one keynote speaker brian fanzo talking about shrinking the distance uh not you know and which is one of the keynote programs that i give and i remember looking up there man i mean like man these you know this this group is, go is going to be a lot of fun and it was for um it was for actually owners and practitioners in the in the dental arena so it was dentists uh, dental uh, hygienist, anyone that was in that kind of the dental space, uh, both you know, uh, B2B and B2C. And I remember like seeing this giant sign and I kind of like laughing about it. And, you know, that was, you know, I, that was the first of the three days I'm speaking. And so I go backstage uh, and usually I'm really active with going in the audience and like shaking 
hands with people, asking questions. But because I knew I had three days in a row and I like to talk and I talk very loud, I was like, you know what? I need to rest my voice. I need to make sure I take care of my voice. So I was drinking, uh, you know, I was drinking some nice drinks in the background. I had honey uh, for my throat before that, you know, that before this keynote, uh, this afternoon keynote that I was giving. You know, I was backstage. We were talking. Up, you know, it was like, okay, they told me they had my slide deck, so I didn't have to, you know, work through the slide deck or anything. And they announce my name, they do my whole intro, and I walk out, and I had decided beforehand that I was gonna have a fun introduction. And so I talked about um, the fact that I can't stand the dentist, and that I would rather get a Mike Tyson tattoo um, than I would then going to the dentist. And I remember I delivered it, and like there was not very many laughs, and people were kind of looking around, and I'm like, what is going on? Like these people, like I wasn't making fun of them. I was like, don't worry, you know, dentist, you know, hey, I know it can be scary for all of us, and you know it's nothing against your profession. I just don't like people like prying my mouth open. My mouth is, you know, something I use all day, every day. I, don't, I love to talk, and I, there's still like nobody like laughing or leaning in. I'm like, man, what the heck is going on here? And so I, I walk across stage, and I'm like, okay, let me just break it down to you, and like, the, and I'm like leaning into this, you know, my joke and my opening because I'm like, man, I really know this is going to hit. And as I'm like leaning, I'm like, let me break this down to you. As I look over. I realized that on the tabletop is the um, like kind of the promo for the event, and it's for the um, building association and construction uh, event. And it was in that moment that I realized that the dentist event was day two. And I just gave my opening uh, <laughs> bid for about dentistry to the construction and building association that were in the audience. And I will tell oh you, my I God. felt as small as you can imagine, not, not to mention I leaned into it even more. Uh, and then I tried my best in that moment to like pivot away from it. And I was like, oh, maybe you guys thought you were, that uh, you thought I was here for the wrong day. Like we, the, don't worry, the dentist group I think is here tomorrow. Didn't you guys see those signs? And I started leaning into it and there was like some smirks and I finally just like stopped. And I was like, all right, hold on. And I, and I, and I sat down on the edge of the stage and there was probably, I don't know, maybe, maybe 1,800, uh, 2,000 people in the audience. And I sat down on the stage, and I was like, here's the thing. I was like, my talk is about shrinking the distance and understanding what we do online will never replace what we do offline. I was like, but the truth is also that uh, sometimes uh, life happens, shit happens, and we are all humans. And I was like, for those that were confused by my opening bit, um, that's my bit for tomorrow. I'm the opening keynote for tomorrow's session, and I just gave you guys the wrong one. I was like, so if you guys will do me a favor, I'm gonna act as if you didn't hear that. I'm gonna go backstage and I'm gonna walk back out and give you guys the opening that I have prepared for you. And the crowd erupted. I mean, it was, I mean, everyone was on their feet when I came back out for the, 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 the kind of reintroduce myself. And the feedback was truly amazing. I will tell you to this day, to this day, since then, before I go up within minutes before going up on stage, I will ask whoever's backstage with me, hey, what, what event is this? And I was like, which slide deck do you have with me? Uh, just to avoid that mistake from ever happening. But it was without question uh, the loneliest and oddest feeling that I'd ever had in my life because I knew my Mike Tyson like joke was so good and the fact that uh, I just kept leaning into it, yet it was missing the mark. So yeah, that, that's the one that stands out for me for sure. Did you do oh you have gosh. do you have like video of that still Fanzo? Like is <laughs> I would love to see your face the moment you realized you were in the wrong like crowd. Like that would be an awesome moment. And I love how you pivoted, shifted, went like got vulnerable, right? And it's the vulnerability that brought the crowd back to you, being willing to 
um, not just try to like cover it up or not try to like make up some BS, but you like sat down, took a pause, got vulnerable, allowed them to share that experience with you. I think that's a powerful lesson for everyone, but I would love to uh, see the footage of that if it exists. So there, there's no footage of the actual, the mistake part of it. There are a couple of photos of me, like, right as I'm sitting down. And then there's video of my, like, second coming back out. But that was the other part that was kind of funny about it was that, you know, they put me as the opening to inspire them to be, like, more social and more digital uh, because it was the, you know, building a construction and building association group. Uh, so not, not usually there's people tweeting and taking photos, and that was an audience that was not. And I, I don't think I inspired them with a, a, a story about dentist and Mike Tyson. But yeah, I will, I will post it uh, over to my IG, and I'll, I'll tag the uh, Breakfast with Champions uh, Instagram account on there, too, so you guys can share it over there. What's so cool about that, and, you know, Fanzo, you guys, by the way, both Fanzo and I have... Um, online communities in different in different places. Mine is on a platform called Geneva, and Fandos is on Discord. And I just saw a bunch of notifications coming in from Nancy saying that honesty is the best policy. That's the great a great story. Vulnerability brought the audience back. Great insight. It is such a good lesson. And you know, I had a room yesterday about the power of vulnerability. I think it's so important to be vulnerable because. That is what connects you to your audience. The idea, if you had just kind of, you know when you watch stand-up comics, um, like bomb, right? When they go up on a stage and they say something and they're like, and then, and then it's just silent. It's so awkward for the audience. It's awkward for the comedian. And there's two choices in that moment. The comedian can just, anyway, let's keep on going with the next joke. Or they can say, wow. Now I know that you guys don't have a sense of humor or you can joke about the fact that you, you know, bomb that joke. It's so good to take those moments and show humanity. You talk about shrinking the distance between technology and humanity. We are all human beings. You're not perfect. You're far from it. You say it too. Perfection is a fairy tale. Everyone makes mistakes. We've all done that, right? We've all gone to the wrong place or met people at the wrong time or or gave someone the wrong number or whatever it is. And it's totally normal. And every single person in that audience probably liked you a whole lot more because of that moment. So kudos to you, Fanzo. I appreciate that. And it's true. And I will say I have to give credit where credit is due in the mindset beforehand, right? And Glenn, I appreciate that acknowledgement as well. You know, there's a gentleman, his name's Scott Stratton. I, I recommend you to check him out. He's a world-renowned speaker. He's represented by the Vayner Speaker Agency. Um, he's had multiple viral videos on a couple different things, hosts a couple podcasts called The Unmarketing Podcast. You think he's written four books. He changed my world when it came to becoming a speaker because a lot of times I had that feeling that many of us get was like, wait a second, I'm not the smartest person in here, or why the hell are all these people listening to me? Like, why do they pay money to come watch me on stage? Like, I don't, I'm not the expert. I don't know more than them. And he sat me down in the beginning of 2014, and he's like, Brian, this is the lesson I want to instill in you. He's like, you are given the microphone on the stage not because you are, are an expert or that it is not your job to prove to the people in the audience that you are an expert. It's rather to share your unique perspective and how good you are at connecting your perspective to their problems. And I will tell you, because of that, anytime that I make a mistake like that, and the reason that I was able to be vulnerable, the reason I was able to lean into it, was not because I'm like, had some superpower, or I'm not afraid to admit when I'm wrong. You know, I, I, I practice my intros, you know, over and over again. I work really, really hard. But it was because of that mindset that in that moment, I had to ask myself, 
if I'm going to not admit to it and play it off, it's about me. But if I realize, realize and remember it's about the audience, and the audience just wants to hear my perspective, it's important for me to not you know, make that distance even further. And I, you know, I would say that that to me has been um, a lesson that I will take forever. I, 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 I owe, owe Scott that for uh, kind of sitting me down and being the, the mentor that I just never knew that I needed in those moments. And, and the last thing I just wanted to share, too, on this whole idea of that, like, you know, I do believe that the world needs more diverse voices, and we all have a voice, and we all have a, a story to tell. And it doesn't have to be stages. It doesn't have to be um, on video. I believe one of the magic things that we can all do is recognize that our story matters and recognize that, you know, the medium that we tell our story on is usually what is holding us back. And so I, I, I would challenge everyone, you know, Donna and I, when I was interviewing Donna, what, you know, what Donna does really well is when you're you know, watching her on her IG stories or IGTV or even on live, she's talking with you, right? You feel as though you're sitting there front row and she's having a conversation with you. And I think the, we oftentimes are, are stuck by the medium, right? If we're not good on video, don't start telling your stories on video. Start where you are most comfortable because the more we get comfortable telling our story where we are comfortable, the more it's going to empower us to take our story to where our audience is and our audience needs to hear it. And, and I meant what I said earlier, too, about diverse voices and diverse events. And I, I believe that that whole narrative is changing. I'm a member of the National Speakers Association, where I know they are working extremely hard on removing some of this, um, this old school mentality that existed within that industry and pushing it forward. So, uh, Donna, this was a lot of fun. I'm glad we were able to kind of kick it back and forth. Yeah, I loved it. I learned actually a lot about you, which is shocking because I feel like you're an open book here on Clubhouse and you share all the stories, but we can always learn more from each other. Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.